John, and I have never, um, I don't think I've ever preached through the whole book of John before. Uh, this is a new thing for me. And there are certain challenges involved, okay? There are certain challenges involved. You know, interestingly, the challenges do not exist in the original language. And the original Greek of John is simple. It's like uh, see, spot, run. You remember those uh, childhood uh, books that teach you how to learn English? Uh, uh, John's Greek is that simple. It, it's that baby. It's that, it's that uh, simple in its use of, of grammar and uh, uh, sentence construction and uh, even, uh, even the vocabulary. Very, very limited. And so, um, but, but, but one of the challenges then that kind of comes alongside this rather simple Rather, rather, almost um, a little bit ethereal, almost like a slightly mystical tone as we read it, you'll, you'll hear it. It, 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 it gets, it's very deep. In, in this chapter, for he alone, uh, he's going to cover eternal life, judgment, um, uh, resurrection, glory, testimony. And, and, and there's lots of ideas that kind of almost seem to tumble out of John as he talks and as Jesus talks. And there's tons of information that comes out. But right now, so one of the challenges I have that is giving you enough context, like, like being able to shape for you or, or not shape or to actually present to you the actual meaning of the text. That's my goal. That's what I want to do. I'm really not even interested in sharing what I think. I want you to understand the text, and because the text tells you that the voice of Jesus raises the dead. And if this is indeed, if I'm repeating, going to read or explain or, or open up the words of Christ, it may be, it may be because of his voice that somebody will live today. I, I actually believe that. Somebody might come to life today in this room. Are you, I'm serious. I am that serious. And I think that this text is that serious. So what we're going to do is I'm going to give you a little introduction to it, and we're going to read it. If you look on the other side, I gave a vernacular translation, a colloquial, easy, very inaccurate translation that captures the meaning so we can kind of track it. Because I personally think you're going to get lost while we're reading. I'm almost sure of it. You're going to get lost. And so, uh, uh, so we're, I'm going to try to capture this. Now, uh, let me give you a little introduction, and we'll read. And like I said, it's going to—it's going to—the meaning is going to—it's going to elude you a little bit uh, because of the, uh, the the way it's written. But all right. So first of all, John chapter five is—it has a story a lot like Matthew and Mark and Luke, although John is written so differently. John includes details that Matthew and Mark and Luke don't include. But John has goals. He has desires. He wants to share things that Matthew and Mark and Luke may have not included. And so um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke always include a story where Christ comes into conflict with the religious leaders of his day over what issue? Sabbath. Sabbath keeping. Sabbath keeping. Does anybody remember how many laws? In the Torah about Sabbath, 39. 
And I call them the 39 ironies, because there are 39 laws about how to rest, 39 rules about how to be free in grace, 39 more rules to make sure that you enjoy the freedom of God's love. Does anybody catch the irony here? The difficulty, and in fact, has been constructed a law, a law they obscured the rest until it was unreachable, until you could not rest on the Sabbath. Because of all the rules. It's terrifying. And all man-made religion, all religion created by men and women always does that. Everyone. But I'm overreaching. Let's, let's read this. He is just healed on the Sabbath. He, it is initiating conflict. I'm going to read the text. After I'm done reading the text, I'm going to ask for the Holy Spirit to come. And I'm going to read my rough translation on the other side, and we'll jump in. John chapter 5, beginning in verse 15. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And that was, this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on Sabbath. But Jesus answered them. Can somebody give me some water, please? Eddie, could you grab me a bottle of water, please? But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now. Oh, thank, thank you. Thank you very much, Jim. And I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, now, now I'm going to give you a little footnote here. This entire text is supposed to be Christ talking. John may have been editing a little bit. It doesn't really matter because these are still the words of God. But let me, let's read these. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing and greater works than these he will show him so that you may marvel for as the father raises the dead and gives life gives them life so also the son gives life to whom he will for the father judges no one but has given all judgment to the son so that all may honor the son just as they honor the father whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He has not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, he has granted the Son to also have life in himself and he has given him authority to execute judgment. Because he is the son of man. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life. And those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear I judge and my judgment is just because I seek not my own but the will of him who sent me. I, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. 
There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. And he was a burning and a shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And as the Father who sent me has borne witness of himself or borne witness about me, his voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one who he sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And they bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me, that you may have life. I do not receive my glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If I other comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses on whom you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe in his writings, how will you believe my words? Let me pray. Father, you've given me the responsibility to preach the gospel. I pray for the ability to do that. I pray that you would teach this man how to preach. You would not hold his sins against these people. But all together would have the Holy Spirit to understand. Even so, Lord Jesus, show us your Father by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Woo! All right. (laughs) You know what's funny? I'm going to get up here and talk about John chapter 5. And there are verses in here that I frankly have no idea what they mean. I'm serious, guys. You know, it's funny. There's 2,000 years of astounding intellectual curiosity and interest in these kinds of texts, and we are beggared. (laughs) We are literally beggars before it. And I think we ought not to be surprised about that, because Jesus, in a beautiful way, tells us, and he tells these people, that they really don't don't understand the issues involved. what I mean is, is that I suspect that our confusion, as I was speaking right now, some of you are listening to this thinking, what in the world is Jesus talking about? You can bet your bottom dollar that one of the disciples was sitting there right next to uh, Jesus going, what the heck is he talking about? So don't be afraid. If you feel a little bit dismayed, you hear this, you're like, whoa, whoa, Chris, this is another example of how the Bible just doesn't connect to my life. Don't be dismayed. Because it's meant, it, it is arresting, it is difficult, it is challenging, because Christ comes to, to the world with such a radically different perspective on everything that it's almost jarring, it's almost disturbing, it's, it's certainly unsettled. Because he just got challenged about his disobedience to the clear command of God as understood and explained and extrapolated and expanded by pharisaical zeal. And he doesn't even talk about it. It's like, you don't even know me. 
you don't know my dad, you don't know what's going on. And it's this, I look at my problems, or Bill was telling about struggles in her life, and many of us are having problems with family, or marriage, or hurt, or harm, or work. And, and we, or we're curious about what's the future of the first press, or our hearts, and our lives, and what's going to happen to John, we, John's going to Tokyo, we lose people. All these things are happening around us, and there's all these things that are frightening. And I, but Jesus, this person, the Son of God, he's so, he's so unruffled. And so it seems to be aware that this world is bounded and understood by eternal realities. And that what makes this function, what makes us work, what makes this world function and work and make sense is the eternal reality that created it. It is the love of God from eternity that makes sense of law and grace. It is nothing less than the, all the plans and, and work of a God from eternity to love. And when Christ, you can even hear it in his voice, even now, you hear him, he says that word now. He's, he's ripe. He is full. He wants them to know that they are a part of all of the work of God across space and time to rescue sinners. Right there. He's right there. Right about to die and take death and crush it in his love. They, the 39 ironies, are greater than we thought. All right, let's begin with this then. Sabbath keeping. How many of you grew up in a Sabbath keeping house? Show of hands. Anybody? You did? Anybody else? Don't you did? Some of you have How strict was it? Scale 1 to 10. I remember my dad not getting a job because it did. We were very, very strict about it. Um, I hated Sundays because of it. For a long time, my parents, we weren't allowed to eat out, because then we would be making other people work. And because it was God's day, we had to be spiritual all day, which is really boring. And, uh, you know, we had to... And in other words, it's interesting, some of this irony where more law is added on to the Sabbath is part of our reality even today. Like, it's funny, even the church today, some of that is still there, and my parents have become a part of it when they first became Christians. The reason I bring this up is, what is the moral value of remember the Sabbath day? What is this moral weight? If, let's, say, let's say morality is like atomic weight. Everything, every moral choice you make, if I'm going to punch her, that's morally wrong if I punch her, right? Or hurt her, or if I pull her hair, that's morally wrong. Like we, we, know, we understand there's a moral value in how we interact with each other. Like an intrinsic, we know we think certain things are wrong, and certain things are right. And there's a deep agreement amongst us on a lot of what those things are. But what's curious to me is where's the moral value in rest? In other words, it is not intrinsically morally wrong to work, right? There's no intrinsic value. In, in other words, work and rest are not morally charged truths in and of themselves. Sometimes it is right to work and sometimes it is not. It is not a morally charged choice in and of itself. So why did God make it one of the Ten Commandments? Think about this. Think of, does it rise in your consciousness or your mind to the level of stealing or lying or adultery or murder? But there it sits. Ensconced in the Ten Commandments. What is the moral weight of Sabbath? 
What is its moral relevance? Well, the clue lies in the way Jesus handles the Sabbath and understands himself. You see, he is Lord of the Sabbath, and he came to give us rest. Why is it in the Ten Commandments? Because God wants you to know it's so important that you know how to grab his grace and his rest. And that is as much an earnest command out of God's love for eternity that you learn to rest in his grace and accept it and know it down to your toes that it has all this moral beauty that comes out of it because it's meant to deliver to you and show you and reveal to you what it was for Christ to die for sinners and just how free he would make you, how much he would give you rest, how much he would put your heart at ease that you need never ever again worry or earn or worry about the 39 ironies about how to create a perfect Sabbath obedience to God because you couldn't even do that. But instead he wanted to turn around and give you what? Grace. Grace. Greater than all our sin. You see? And so its moral value comes in how it reveals to you Jesus and his love. What a lesson. So let's begin with that love. Because that's where he begins. His father's word. Let's read, let's, read, let's read my retranslation on the other side. And then we'll get into the points of the message. And we'll be done. This is my rewrite. Yes, I'm working. So what? I'm just like my dad. That make sense? I love my dad. And I do what I see him doing. He shows me everything. And it's so amazing. You'll be stunned. I raise the dead like he does. I make that call. He lets me do that. So that everyone can show proper respect. Whoever doesn't respect me doesn't respect my dad. You won't believe this, but it's true. If you believe in me, you'll live forever. That's what my dad does, and it's what I do. Because I'm the son of man, that title means my voice is a death-reversing machine, raising folks right out of the grave. This is actually true. All dead people will get up, either for life or judgment. I'm not doing this alone. I do exactly what the person who sent me told me to do. If it was just me talking, that would be fishy. There are other people talking about truthful I really am. Take John. I don't need his approval, but I went through him so you all would have a chance to understand man to man. You liked his teaching a lot, didn't you? What I have to say and what I do will prove it. It will show that what I'm saying is so much more important than anything John said or did. My dad is my witness. He told you. You never listened to him. You've never even seen him. And you don't really understand his words. If you did, you'd listen to me. You're so religious about your Bibles, and you want your Bible to tell you how to live forever. The problem is your Bible is about me, and you will not come to me for life. Look, I don't need your praise. I know for a fact that you don't have God's love in you. I came talking about my dad, and you wanted nothing to do with me. You love experts who talk about themselves. You praise each other, which is why you don't even value God's praise for you. Do you think I came to play the blame game? I don't have to. Your favorite person to quote is Moses. But the problem is Moses will judge you himself. Because he wrote about me. If you really believe Moses, you'd believe me. Since you don't really listen to him either, there's no way you can believe anything I have to say. Is that a little clearer? Is that a little easier to follow as a rewrite? All right, what are we going to do? What does he do? First, what what does Christ do? He talks about a love beyond all dimensions. Look at this. What? All right, so there's, a, there's an idea that God loves you at the cross. You've all heard that. God so loved the world. But where did that love start? Where does it originate? Where does God's love begin? 
<laughs> we're not getting we're not ready for this. It begins beyond all dimensions. It begins when God the Father says to God the Son, what? I love you. And he has always Time, eternity, world without end, said and felt and run and chased and loved his son. Praise him. Why is that so important? Because out of the Father's son love for the Son, and the Holy Spirit's love for the Father, and the Father's love for the Spirit, and the Spirit is what? Is an end, is a is a is a is a fire that burns with a love that flows into Peter's life. And means he loves you and me. Praise him. And Christ is like saying this. You guys want to fuss around about Sabbath? You don't know what Sabbath means. My dad loves me from eternity. And Sabbath was meant to be that restful love piercing your life and filling it. It's setting you free. It's all love from beyond all dimensions. Greater than space and time. Love! And it's yours, Cedric. It's mine. Nothing can take it away from me. For it began beyond space and time. <laughs> and that's why Jesus is so rock solid. Isn't he? He's so self-aware. So cognizant. So able to understand. That they have not understood him or his love or his dad or anything. Because they wanted to make their own religion. <laughs> A Sabbath law that would save them. <laughs> and they were lost in it. So in this, in, in fact, in verse 20, he talks about his love that the Father has for him. And then in verse 42, he talks about the love that's in you. <sighs> you know what we were supposed to burn with? Do you know what we're supposed to love with? You know why we're supposed to forgive each other? Because eternal love is what spilled into this woman's heart and your heart and my heart to call us together into this little church to give love to God is love. It's greater than all dimensions. But, you know, it's, it's, it's well and good. My, I remember even when kids were young, still, when your first things, the first times your kids say to you that they love you, it's pretty wonderful. It's wonderful. They really can't do anything for you. Uh, mm, the love of children is often very selfish anyway. And what I mean by this is like, if you ever ask a kid to share their M&Ms? Ask a little child to share their M&M's. I'll give you one at a time. And what I mean by that is... <laughs> We're talking about a love that transforms us. A love that's powerful to do what? What is this love? This love reverses death. See, it is, it is not merely a sentiment coming out of eternity. No, far from it. And thank God for that. For if, you, if God were to toss his, hat, toss his hat to us and say, Hey guys, I feel for you over there. In the midst of your death, ruin, shame, and destruction. <laughs> that wouldn't be enough, would it? No. We needed a love that would become flesh. We needed a love that would be unreal. We needed a love that would come and chase. We needed something that would be and be able to deal with the true crime happening in our flesh. And that is we are dying. We are dying and we are alone and we are afraid and we don't know what's going to happen. And what has he done? No, you're not alone. I am with you. 
No, you are not lost. I will find you. No, you are not. Don't be ashamed. I have loved that which is ugly and disgusting. I love people who hate me. I chase the ruin. I fulfill the lost. I give grace to them. I heal. This is who he is. His voice itself is a death-reversing machine. Praise him. You know, my hope for the gay community of San Francisco is the voice of Jesus Christ. And my hope for the street and the Mission Street and for Wednesday night is the voice of Jesus Christ. My hope for this generation that mocks him and does not know him is what? The voice of Jesus Christ. Because it breaks open the tomb. Wow. That's another challenge for us. You know, I was at a... Uh, your mom's funeral, mom's big week, Monday night. And I was so thankful, it was so wonderful to be right in the middle of the Castro and, and all these men whom your mom friended were there and felt so alive. And one of the, one of the boys was going, is in the middle of a sex change and, and you, you know, and what, do I have anything to offer him? I hope so, because I heard a voice that I heard a voice that breaks death. This doesn't matter. There's nobody in this city that is out of the range of the healing power of God. Period. <laughs> Praise Him. The reason we're planting a church is because we believe in the voice of Jesus. It's a death-reversing machine, right? Otherwise, this would be a big waste of time. And if he's not a death-reversing machine, then this really is pathetic. And I should be pitied. Because I am putting all of it on red. I'm putting everything on red. And I'm talk talking about a, 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 a table, a roulette table. I'm talking about the blood of Jesus. <laughs> I'm putting everything on red. Because I believe that blood and that death and that resurrection of the Son of God and the Son of Man, the King, the God-Man, from beyond space and time with a love that created the universe itself, saved Chris Robbins and saved Corey Mead and can save the whole freaking city. Praise him. And that is why we have come together. And I will continue to preach and speak and interpret and repeat and say, not my own words, my own words are worthless. They are meaningless. My words mean nothing. But if they are the words of Christ and if Christ fills them and the message of the voice of the Son of God and the Son of Love comes, all right, <laughs> Praise Him. Praise Him. And finally, life without limits. Did you notice how much eternal life comes up? Eternal life. Oh. <laughs> Did you hear this? This is not merely life without end. It's a new kind of life. It's a new life of joy and power in the midst of suffering and pain and death. And it's a life without limits. It's eternal. That was not meant to be sequential. It's not meant to invite you to say, how can we last in heaven forever? Won't it be boring? No, because you won't be bored anymore because you'll be a new kind of person who is able to take in the beauty of divine love and see it and know it and see him face to face. Did you hear? Look, I put it here. In, in this text, the Father God loves the Son and sends the Son to be with us, Right? Moses gives testimony against them, but people don't want to honor and respect one another and give that to each other. But here comes the invasion of a new love that can bring life and new life here. What is this new life? It is life. I am, you're talking. Gosh, this is weird. 
You are talking to an eternal person right now. Eternal person is talking to you. Sound far-fetched? No, I know the eternal God. You have not even guessed yet what is possible, what is offered, what is hoped for, what is what it must be necessary, what must be what must be possible right now. And I concluded with this, and I think this capped it all for me. This last thought that I heard in a sermon from Donald Gray Barnhouse, one of the greatest preachers I've ever heard. If you if you expect anything from God other than grace. You will be sorely disappointed. Praise Him. I find about all the things we expect from God. All the things we want. And so many of us, and so often, you know what I have done in my heart of hearts? And you would never see it unless I told you. I made a deal with God. If I'm a better person, if I'm a good, good enough boy, won't you give me a good church? Or won't you give me a good ministry? Or won't you give me good children? Or won't you give me the success I crave? And what am I doing all that time? I'm going back to slavery. I'm going back to law. I'm going back to Father. I'm going to conditional relationship with you. And what has he said over and over again? What's he saying in his grace and his love from eternity? What's he saying? I came to give grace. And if you expect anything other than grace, God is here to disappoint you. He will disappoint you. He came to give his love away for free. And I hear freedom and eternal life. That's what I hear. Life. Eternal life. I, I guess what I'm hoping in the end here, we're going to go back over this text because there's ideas in here that we need to, I want to get my fingers dirty. I want to understand honor. I want to understand what these things mean in the mouth of my Savior. But I want to end with this idea. Which picture? There's a scene in the Pilgrim's Progress, which I encourage you all to read, when, when, uh, when Christian, he's going to come to Jesus, and everybody's telling him not to go, not to believe, not to trust, to doubt, to run away, to be afraid, to be ashamed. Do you remember, does anybody remember what he does? He puts his fingers in his ears like this, and he starts shouting to himself, life, life, eternal life. Life, life, eternal life, as he runs to the cross. Is that you? Is that us? I pray that I will be who we are by the Spirit now, running to the Son. And we will have nothing else. Praise Him. Let's pray. You are a good God. Father, that was a lot of scripture. I, I always get nervous when I have a lot of scripture like that. It's so hard for us. Our brains are so slow. My brain is so slow. We need a word from you. Father, I know if you speak by the Holy Spirit in this place, you will be heard. And the story of Jesus and his love will be heard. Your son. I pray that somebody hearing your voice today would come to eternal life. <laughs> and that would be our joy. Now, Father, I pray that the love of your son would so conquer our church and our generation and our city that we would see the dead come to life. We're already seeing it in Tom and Grace and Cedric and others. You are good. We want to see more. <laughs> more of your love. 
We thank you for this message, and we pray as we come to the table that our worship would be by you and for you. In Jesus' name, amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he broke bread. Jesus believed in enacting out his truths so we would understand them. So he enacted this truth. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Take and eat. He's enacting the truth. His love in you. In the same way, he also took a cup of wine after dinner and said, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. He's play acting truth. He's visualizing truth. Baby talk for baby Christians. Amen. I feel like a baby today. I just want this. His blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. So what do we do here? Well, when you eat this and drink this, Jesus, you're showing that Jesus is in you and you want him inside you and you want him to give you strength like this would give you strength to move your hands and walk around and stuff. Christ would be your nutrient. Eternal love in the soul. So I want to invite you. You don't have to be a good person. This is the wonderful part. You don't have to be a good person to come to this table. This table, in fact, is only for sinners. Only sinners are worthy of this table. Let me, let me go a little further. If you think you're a good person and you're going to have to work to be a good person to know Jesus, then I have, I have bad news for you. You are forbidden to go to this table. This table is not for good people. This table's only for ruined sinners whose trust is in Jesus. Some of you are skeptical. Some of you are scientific in your understanding. If you heard my claims and don't agree, I invite you to engage with me about them uh, through debate. And someday, I hope you will believe as I do and have my joy, our joy. All right, this is the drill. Hi, good morning, Anna. Um, this is the drill. Let's, uh, we're going to um, do the Apostles' Creed. Um, we, do have, we do believe in objective truth, and I ask that you assent to the Apostles' Creed as a statement of your faith to come to this table. And, uh, and, so, um, and then what we'll do is while we're singing, after we do the Apostles' Creed and we're singing, will you come forward and get some, this is wine to the right and grape juice is to the left for those who prefer it. Grape juice and then wine. And take the bread and wine back to your seats and we'll take it together and be done. Okay? All right, let's stand. All right, brother and sister, Christian, guests who are here today, what do you believe? We believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, 
and the life everlasting. Amen.